But before we dive in, as we're talking about marriage today, uh, Christina already mentioned it. And uh, in fact, I even consulted with some of our uh, single Catalyst members after first service. So we really want to make sure this message is relevant, not just to those who are married in the room, because we know that uh, many of you in the room, uh, if not most of you, are not married. And we want this to be relevant to you as well. And just as I mentioned a few weeks ago, when we opened up 1 Corinthians 7, and we spoke about a message on singleness, and if you recall, I said, if you are married in the room, this message is also relevant to you. Now I'm about to flip the script, all righty? <laughs> Ephesians 5, when Apostle Paul wrote this letter, he actually wrote it also as a single man, but he also wrote it for the single person to read it and hear it as well, because the, the value God places upon marriage is not just for your own marriage, but it's also for all marriages, so I would encourage you to lean in today, uh, regardless of whatever season of life you're in. I believe there'll be relevance for you as we open up the Word of God, whatever season of life you're in. And uh, we've entitled today's message, if we're taking notes, Happy, Holy, and Healthy Marriage. Because the Apostle Paul really speaks to all of these areas uh, in Ephesians 5 and gives us really a framework for it. But before we dive in, uh, let's pray. Father, we just thank you uh, this morning for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We pray that we would, uh, as we open up our hearts and minds to receive from you, you would speak to us. God, we love you. We honor you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I want to uh, just also frame up that Jeremy and I don't, don't sit here today um, as experts by any means. We've been married almost a decade, but we come as students of the word of God and, uh, and devo devoted to learning what God says about marriage. And so that's what we want to do today. And we want to just kind of open up and frame up today's message with three, uh, what we believe to be biblical truths about marriage. And so we're going to kind of open up, set up today's message, and then we're going to dive into Ephesians 5 together. The first truth is that marriage is from God. The Bible is very clear that this was God's idea. It's God's design for man and woman um, as, you know, as, as we choose marriage as an, a, the great discipler is what I like to call it. Um, but, but we really want to look at it from his word, not Jeremy, Jeremy and Christina's opinion or not marriage counselors, nothing like that. We are looking at it purely from what does God say about the covenant of marriage since he was the designer. And how many know if you want to know how something works, you consult the one who put it together. And the one who, whose idea it was an inception. And so I know for Jeremy and I both, when we, um, you know, when we started walking down the path of marriage and we were engaged, I remember thinking, God, I don't want marriage unless it is your way. Because I know in and of myself, I can't do this. <laughs> we can't do this. But with you, we know that we can. And so that's how we're framing today's message. In fact, I thought of, I thought of um, an example in terms of my own personality. I tend to be the person, I have grown in this, but I tend to be the person who gets an appliance at the house and I just go for it. I'm like, instruction manual, what is this for? We'll consult that if I need it. But I'm one who wants to tinker and just figure it out, right? And so I think I know how it works, and I jump in, and then after frustration, where I'm like, I thought it could steam vegetables, right? Um, but I'm like, I just can't figure it out. I'll begin to get frustrated, and then I'll go take the instruction manual out, and I'll open it and be like, oh, it does this. Oh, it actually does this, too, and I had no idea. Um, and oftentimes, that's how we approach our relationships um, when it comes to marriage. We're like, hey, we'll just dive right in. 
We'll do, you know, sometimes we, we, we dedicate, a, you know, a week or six weeks to a, a marriage premarital counseling session, but that might be the extent of it. So there's no degree required for marriage. There's no certification for marriage. We just, we just dive in and we figure it out. But how many know that sometimes we can avoid a lot of frustration and irritation in our lives if we'll just go to the source? Right, the designer's manual for marriage. And so that's what we want to do with you today. Second one is that marriage is good. So it's from God and it is good. Proverbs 18, 22 says, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. And all of the husbands in the room said a very loud amen. amen. <laughs> Two of you got it. The rest of you, yeah, you'll have more opportunities. So, uh, but no, it is good. It's something that God created for our good, and it is good, and I hope that you can, uh, again, today as we unpack God's word, you can see more of that. There's a last kind of framework we'll share. The last truth is that marriage takes grit. Now, the definition of grit is actually an attitude of mental toughness or courage to go the distance long term. It allows for disappointment. It prioritizes progress over perfection or idealization. Um, and in other words, it, it fails and gets back up. Grit just gets back up, dust yourself off, and keep moving towards the commitments with courage that you've made in your life. And, and we know that marriage is definitely a work in progress. There is no perfect this side of heaven. It was God's perfect idea, but this side of heaven, without his help, we, we, we won't be able to walk that out. And so... We know that, you know, oftentimes we'll put marriages, we, we expect to, to have these amazing flourishing marriages, but we put it on autopilot or we put it on the back burner and we don't give it the attention that it needs. In fact, it gets put on the back burner to our careers, to our, uh, to even some extended family members who still, we haven't really done the leaving and cleaving thing and the other people are still more important than uh, our children. Our children tend to take the forefront because they are very demanding. Um, and oftentimes what happens is our marriage gets left on the back burner and then yeah. we wonder why it's mediocre or why it's just not working. Um, and so we have to intentionally invest. We have to intentionally invest. In fact, last week I mentioned that Jeremy and I are growing grass, which by the way, if you, are, if you lack patience, you should grow some grass <laughs> because God will work through you watering your lawn day after day after day after day. And so, you know, you've probably heard like, oh, the grass is always greener on the other side, right? Um, because you don't know what actually is going on or what it took. You just see kind of the, what, what appears to be uh, really green grass, if you will. And uh, the same is true even on our street. Some, you know, a couple down the street from us, they had done the hard work a couple years ago. So I never got to see the dirt. It looked like weeks of dirt. And you're like, is anything happening right now? Like, what did I just do? Weeds look better than this. Right, and I mean, we should have just kept the weeds. Um, but but the reality is that it takes. There's a process, yeah. right? You have to kill off all the weeds and the dead grass, and then you got to put new seeds down, and then you've got to yeah. water the soil day after day. I think after day 14, we started to see some like yeah. sprouts coming out of the ground, and so it's a very long, laborious process. And and what it takes is like the grass is actually not always greener on the other side. We just need to water our own lawn. <laughs> we just have to tend to, you want grass in, in your marriage, you've got to water your own grass and do the work and be willing to get dirty. Can I, can I say one it? last thing too that happens, I think if we're not careful, even in church, is you can come into a church context and you can see a couple across the room and you can make up in your mind that their marriage is perfect and you see a snapshot 
Or let's think even worse, Instagram, right? <laughs> but now studies are actually coming out saying, oh, actually, social media is bad for our mental health. Well, yes, it is. Or it can be. It can be. But be careful you don't view snapshots. You, don't, <laughs> you can view a moment, and you can think that's all of the time. Um, and be careful that you don't, you don't have that propensity because all of us can because we can see people in snapshots and we can think like, oh, it's just this perfect thing. And like she says, it takes work and investment. And, uh, and also that's the power of community where you can see others that are also in the process of growing their own grass. So, <laughs> Yeah, Fawn Weaver says this. I love this quote. Happily ever after is not a fairy tale. It's a choice. And oftentimes, especially as little girls, we're kind of fed the fairy tale story, and um, and it always is, you know, it's it's princess and ro- it's roses and cupcakes and it's so beautiful. And what you don't see is that there is a lot of hard work, and actually, what those That's moments good. are actually just moments. That's They're good. just moments, actually, and that it's going to re- require our choice, and not just one time at the altar. I do. It's every day. It's an everyday choice yeah. to say I do and to do the hard work. And so we want to challenge you. How are you investing in your relationship? So we're going to move on to our main passage, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. It's a lot of scripture. I read fast. So I would encourage you to follow with the screens on your apps or um, if anybody uses uh, the old paper. I do love my paper. It's just really heavy to carry around. So here we go. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and ca- feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of one body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also must love his wife as himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You know, this letter Paul wrote to the church at uh, Ephesus, to give context, uh, a central theme of this letter, of this book of the Bible, is... He continually is pointing the church back to Christ, and he does so even here in marriage. It's also important to note, um, as you read through Scripture, context is always important. And I love about the, the letter to the Ephesian church is that Paul, at this point, had been following Christ for 25 years and planting churches for 12 years. So he's kind of a little more of an elder in this moment. He's a little older, a little wiser. Uh, and he's, he's, he's saying these things in Ephesians 5. And what he does in Ephesians 5, he does throughout the book, is he directs us back to Christ. That's why he begins by saying, submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. He even says the power of marriage is that it reflects Christ's love for the church. Which a side note, it's, which is why whatever season of life you're in, you should place a value upon marriages because it is the thing in the Bible that says it is the relationship that reflects the love that Christ has for the church. 
So it's important as followers of Christ that we, our marriages, and the marriage is a part of our community, are healthy and vibrant. Why? Because it reflects to the world a, a glimpse of Christ's love for us. But what Paul does in this moment, as I was reading this, he kind of gives us a blueprint because I want to get down to the practicals of really what does it look like, look like to have a happy, holy, and healthy marriage. Now, as I've told before, I, am, uh, I know nothing about architecture uh, or engineering or even using a hammer. So, True um, story. But as I've said before, I am great at the Google. So I do have some skills. Um, and I Googled about how, what are the process of building a house? And there are kind of three main chunks. You have the, the foundation and the frame. Then you have the functionals, which is kind of the HVAC, the plumbing, electricity, you know, the, the parts of your house you don't see, but when they're not working, everyone feels. Uh, and then the finishes, which is what everyone sees when you walk into a house, the drywall and the flooring and the light fixtures. And there are these three parts, and, and Paul really, in this, and, and there's more we could unpack in this, but what I saw was there's three really uh, aspects to marriage he kind of focuses on in this, and we're going to kind of walk through them together. Here's the first one um, that he kind of sets, and kind of really piggybacking uh, off of what I had said before. Um, he says, is to set up a Christ-centered, that's the first point, a Christ-centered, not self-oriented marriage. Now, we have to acknowledge we are culturally conditioned in America to, to think of ourselves. I mentioned this in our single message. We, think, we look at relationships at what's in it for us, even in marriage. And again, please hear this. This is observational. This is not condemnation. But in our culture, it's common to have prenuptial agreements, which is looking out for myself before I get into relationship with you. So Paul in this moment is sort of like kind of recentering us. It's out of reverence for Christ. Also know that he says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know what that means? Is that your spouse, there will be moments of your life you do not want to serve your spouse or your spouse is not acting worthy of your service. So he says, keep the focus on Christ and keeping that Christ-centered. You know, a foundation and frame is that first section of a, of, of a house. And they are critical. You know, if you have a framing issue or a foundational issue of your house, it is incredibly expensive. If you have experience, you've experienced this, if you ever had that, like if you have someone do any work to your foundation, any work to your frame, because a frame issue always creates another issues in your house. So those are the most important aspects. And can I tell you, having Christ as the center is the most important part. If you get nothing else right, you get this right. You keep Christ at the center. Uh, there's a, a picture, I don't know if we can have, have it up on the screen about the marriage triangle. Um, I don't know if y'all can see it very well. If not, I will describe it in words. But it's basically this triangle with God at the top. And this whole idea is this, is that as a spouse, is as you grow closer to God, there's a way that God grows you closer together. As you strengthen your relationship with God, God actually strengthens your relationship with one another. And I love the visual of it because it just shows how as we grow closer to God, God will bring us closer together. You know, I, I've encouraged uh, couples in pre-marriage, and I, I believe this, that if you actually personally are pursuing God wholeheartedly, it's the best thing you can do for your marriage, and to encourage your spouse to pursue God wholeheartedly. Because here's what I find in my own marriage, is that if I'm pursuing God wholeheartedly, God will take care of the character issues in my life that could cause marriage problems. Because a lot of marriage problems are just the result of personal character issues. And if you're allowing God to form you and shape you, 
then God will help take care of it because he wants your marriage to thrive in that way. But then there's also pursuing God together, which Christina's going to share a little bit about kind of how that's looked for us over the different seasons and, and times we've gotten it right and times that we've, we've missed it. Absolutely. Yeah, we want to give you kind of some framework, just a practical framework of kind of guardrails, if you will, on things that we've done. Uh, one of those things is that we, we make a habit of asking each other, like, what is God speaking to you? Because number one, it assumes God is speaking, right? And, and some of you may be thinking, like, I don't know if God speaks to my spouse. <laughs> don't look at me so holy. <laughs> um, but the reality is that is when you pray, right? Um, and you've got to begin to trust that God, uh, the creator of your spouse, is very capable of getting their attention. He is very alive and at work in their lives, whether you recognize it or not. And so you can pray, and you can begin to assume the best, right, about your spouse. And, and th that might look like even just once a week, making a goal, just once a week, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a time, whether it's 10 minutes doing, you know, one person's washing, one person's drying dishes, right, or doing laundry, or um, maybe you actually have time to sit down for 10 minutes a day and have a conversation. Maybe it's some pillow talk where you're able to say, like, hey, what's God speaking to you in That's your good. life? Because, number one, you're speaking faith into the other person's life. Secondly is um, having, maybe attending groups, uh, being a part of groups, intentional groups that build your marriage and or some intentional couples. In some seasons of our life, even early on in marriage, in our first, first year of marriage, we were a part of a newly, nearly wed type of class. Um, it was a, a group, and we're still friends with those people today. In yeah. fact, we have one of those in our groups uh, happening. We have two marriage groups. We have one newly, nearly wed course, which is, hey, if you're thinking about getting married, um, you're engaged, get in that class. And then if you're, you know, one to three, five years, and you're ready to jump in and you want some friends in your yeah. marriage, uh, we've got one of those in two, as well as like Brittany and Christian are actually leading that group. I'd encourage you uh, to go look it up and join because in those times, it has been so, we've just grown so much. And what you realize is when you begin to take that mask so off, good. which we talk about all the time here at Catalyst, James 5, confess your sins one to another and you're healed. So what you end up hearing is like, oh, me too. Yeah. Oh, me too, yeah. I struggle with that too. You know, oh, we struggle with communication too. Right? And you begin to realize, hey, this is not just a you issue, while there yeah. are plenty of us issues, right? But there's also, hey, these are not unique to you. These are, yeah. you know, you have an enemy of your soul. That's good. And not only does he want to still kill and destroy you, John 10, 10, but he also wants to steal this. Yeah. And he wants to, to mar this as much as possible because we know that marriage should be the reflection of Christ in the church. And so we know we're, we've got a long way to go. Can I get an Amen. Yeah. Right? And so God is painting a beautiful vision for us of where we're moving to. Can I say one last thing in that same vein? The power of community is this. And sometimes God can convince you, or the enemy can convince you, try to, that you are the only one struggling with this. And then next thing you start thinking, well, maybe we're not the right one. Maybe we shouldn't do this. And then, like I said, you get into a group and you share your issue, and there's like three other couples, me too. You're like, oh, okay, we're going to make it. Right? <laughs> But the enemy will do that. That's why it's so important. I know you hear say all the time, community, community, community. 
That's the power of community because you might think there's an issue in your marriage. It's a make or break, but then you meet somebody happily married for 18 years and they are still working on that issue. And then you realize, oh, we're going to be, we're going to be okay. Yeah. There's some seasons where being a part of a group is just not, it's not possible, right? Or, or it's just, you're too busy, especially when kids come, it can be challenging to find that. And in those seasons, what we've done is we've leaned into the relationships that we have built through other seasons of community. So for example, there, there's a couple here that's, that, that are friends of ours that have moved halfway around the world. They were in one of the group, small groups that Jeremy yep. and I led, not because we said, hey, we got it together. Come follow us. We were like, hey, we're we trying to get it together. We're following <laughs> Jesus. Why don't you come be a student with us, right, in our marriage? And those couples have been those people as well in our relationships yeah. where we're able to, hey, still take the mask off. Hey, how's your marriage? You, you've built relationship and trust, and you've given each other permission to be like, hey, how you doing with, with loving your spouse? And you've got a few people in your life that, that, that is transparent um, th- yeah. that you can really open up to yeah. about your marriage. So that's really important. These are guardrails to having healthy relationships in marriage. And then uh, studies. So Jeremy and I, there have been seasons where we've been intentional. We are kind of we're kind of study book, bookworms. It's our yeah. approach. may not work for you. But we like doing studies together. Since having children, that is really hard to find time to do. But what we might do, instead of doing a marriage study together, oh, and by the way, if you are a Catalyst Church member, you have access to Right Now Media as a, as a church member, which has hundreds of studies on it, on, you know, a click of, uh, you know, a button on your phone that you can try to find, you can thumb through and find some that work for you if being in a par- part of a group is not possible, right? And you can be intentional about those studies. Um, and for us in this season, it looks like, hey, once a year, we're going to commit to sitting down. If we can't fly to a conference or go somewhere to invest in us, we're going to do a Zoom conference. And those got real, real popular last year. And so there's no excuses. Excuses are, are gone. And so we just have to be intentional about it and do what you got to do. Don't let your season of obstacles be your excuse to not investing in your relationship. C.S. Lewis says, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Yeah, and three practical ways. It may have been put up on the screen, but she's kind of gone through them. But praying and talking about scripture, going through a group together, and then actually some of our closest friends too came through serving uh, together by serving uh, and we've met people to build relationships with. The key part is not going through it alone. Let me say one last thing around this whole idea of Christ-centered. Um, is I, I've learned this the hard way in marriage is to be careful or be intentional about making faith-based instead of feeling-based decisions. Feelings, be aware of your feelings. Feelings are a great kind of dashboard indicator but feelings are a terrible navigator. And, and here's what I've found. Oftentimes, when it's like the right decision, if I feel like I should do something, but I don't feel like doing it, it's usually God putting it on my heart to do something, and I probably should definitely do it. And, and Christina mentioned last week um, this story about how the other night, one night I had like, uh, she had came in from outside. She was setting our sprinkler system up for our grass, and I had cooked dinner, did dishes, bathed the kids, read the book, put them to bed, um, and, uh, which, which sounds amazing, but let me just give you the story behind the story, okay? Um, uh, Jeremy was washing dishes after dinner, 
And while I was doing it, I felt the Spirit of God impress upon my heart to do the rest of the responsibility for the kids. I did not feel like doing it. And the entire time, I did not feel like doing it. Listen, I never feel like bathing three kids. Ever. Ever. I never will either. Okay? So don't have this illusion, one day I'll feel like it. No, you say feelings, submit to the name of Jesus for the sake of my marriage. So I'm going to do what I don't want to do so I can have the marriage that I want to have. And we don't want to talk about that all the time. Listen, it is dying to self. It's you saying, Jeremy, I don't care what you feel right now. Because the enemy will work your feelings to say, I don't feel like it. And can I tell you, your feelings will direct you in a way that will destroy you in your marriage. And that's why people will even say, like, I feel like we've drifted apart. Well, yeah, but guess what that means? You need to now work on getting closer together. If you feel like you've drifted apart, put in the work. I say it with love and compassion, but I'm being kind of direct because the enemy hates marriage because it reflects Christ in the church. Do we see this? Do we wonder why marriages are, are we look across culture and there's, you rarely see a healthy marriage? It's because the enemy hates it because he knows the power of it. But he knows if you can set this right and on a, on a practical day-to-day -day level, it's being attuned to the spirit of God in your life it's submitting yourself to the word of God in your life, even at the sake of you feeling like it. And when you do that and you make those decisions, what it looks like is that is you choosing to forgive your spouse before you feel like forgiving your spouse. You choosing to, even though you're exhausted too, but you see that your spouse has worked a long week or maybe it's been a lot with the kids or maybe a lot in their graduate program, you choosing, even in your fatigue, I'm going to take care of dinner tonight. I'm going to take care of these responsibilities tonight. That's what it looks like. And again, like I'm saying, it may never feel good, but I'm telling you, it will lead to good in your marriage when you do so. I want to add to you, just to set some women free, uh, because sometimes I think uh, there can be some cultural uh, expectations that are implied um, that, you know, it's like, oh, Jeremy occasionally does these things, and it's like, wow, amazing. But here's the, here's the reality. As a mom, I, would, I've, I used to believe the lie that, like, oh, every mom doesn't, you know, just, just enjoys every aspect of the child-rearing process and the bathing and the feeding and the, all the things. Can I help you out? Decision, decisions, you make a decision, and then feelings may follow, because you've got to lead with the decision that, you know what, I love God with all my heart, my soul, my strength, my mind, whatever he calls me to, I'm going to do it as unto him. Secondly, I love this guy, right? And so as, I love, love, <laughs> as I love Jeremy, right, um, as a part of our family and, and expanding our family and what God's called us to, I'm going to serve my family well. Doesn't mean I feel like it. I love these children. Doesn't mean I feel like bathing and making sandwiches and lunches and bathing and reading books. And are y'all hearing me? I don't feel like doing it most of the time, right? But decisions lead and feelings follow sometimes, but sometimes they don't. Yeah. But you got to do it anyways, yeah. 
right? Because love is a choice, and we talked about that last week. If you missed it, go check out agape love. Agape love is a self-sacrificing type of love. All right. Some of that was extra. First service didn't get it, so <laughs> there you go. Uh, and then he, he says this idea of submitting to one another. You know the word submission, if you break it down, literally means to place oneself under the mission. And here's what can happen in marriage if we're not careful. Um, is that, well, let's acknowledge this. When you come into marriage, you come in with a vision for what marriage should look like. And here's what happens. If you don't intentionally get under the same vision, you come in with division, two visions. You know what division is? Division is not like, I don't like you. Division is, I have a different vision for how this will work out. And psychologists have shown this. Most people... Their vision for marriage is influenced by their family of origin, the good, bad, and the ugly. So unless you are intentional, you will love your wife like your dad did. You will love your spouse, like you love your husband like your mom did, if, unless you're intentional. So you come in with two different visions. And what can happen if we're not careful? Two different visions creates unnecessary tension on our marriage. Let me give you a visual of this. Um, and yes, this is a pink exercise band. Um, but here's what happens. If you have two couples going the opposite direction, it puts tension on the marriage. And if we kept going, even unintentionally, I just have a different idea of how this should look on, on what our relationships, parenting, managing our finances, our day-to-day life, what will happen? This will eventually snap. And what happens when a band snaps? It will snap back on me. It'll snap back on her. Die vision leads to tension, which hurts both people in the marriage. That's why it's so important that we get under the same vision of what this looks like. So, you know, it says in Proverbs 29, where there, where there is no vision, the people perish. Can I say this? When your marriage has no vision, your marriage, marriage will perish. You got to come under the same vision. So you have to take some time. We started this out, we did a, a vision retreat, kind of a, a vacation. There's a book called Mountaintop Marriage by Jimmy and Karen Evans, um, which is a great book, which kind of walks you through questions to kind of get a vision, like detailed for your family, for your marriage. But is really asking yourself, why did God bring us together? Like God had a purpose for Jeremy and Christina separately, but he's got a purpose for bringing us together. And then operationalize that. So how will that, how does that influence how we parent? How does that influence how we manage finances? I'll give you examples. If one of you in the marriage is, is okay having debt, but the other person is anti-debt, you want to have some disagreements. You're going to have some tension. For us, one of our, our operationalizing the vision, for us and our, our kids, we decided our kids will play no more than one sport activity like a semester. And here's why we did that. One sport a semester is because when they're, if they're involved in, in, in we want to be at home more nights of the week than out with the kids and our family nights. And with that is that we knew that if we have them involved in multiple sports, they're going to be out multiple nights. Now, if I came in and said, I want to be involved in no sports, and she said, I want them in three sports, how many know it would create tension in our marriage? Are you following me? So you come under the vision. So take some time and discover what is God calling us to? What's the vision that God has for bringing us together and keep Christ at the center? The second kind of theme out of Paul's 
letter here is that, is that we're to seek formation over fulfillment in marriage. Jesus said this, that when whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. That word life literally means true life. It means fulfillment. That we actually find our fulfillment in losing our life and following Christ. It sounds like a contradiction of terms in our culture, but it's truth. So our fulfillment comes from Christ, not our spouse. Have you ever seen those Hallmark cards you pick up when you read them for around Valentine's Day or anniversary? And it was like, when I met you, my life was nothing. And you made me everything. It's like, who wrote this? Like, that's not true. Do you know who made my life something? His name is Jesus. So if you put that on your spouse, that's a whole other message. Don't worry. He doesn't give me cards anymore because his handwriting is so unreadable. And I don't agree with most of them. That I just tell him to send me a voice text, like, yeah. like a card. It's a whole other story. I have the handwriting of a second note. grader. Um, but... But your fulfillment comes from Christ. But then Paul says, he gives this like to husbands, wash your wife with the water of the word, he says. And he says to feed and care. One translation says to nourish. And as you look at the cultural context of what he was saying here, is spiritually care for your spouse. That, that in the context of marriage, that one of the greatest gifts of marriage is your spiritual formation and discipleship. A lot of times we think our spiritual formation, our discipleship, our spiritual growth is the things we do. Here's what I found personally. Sometimes the moments of my life where I have experienced the most growth was not during my morning Bible reading. It was over a disagreement we had, and God put his finger on the pride in my heart. And and sometimes what can happen is God will use marriage to shape you and form you. Let me give you this encouragement. Allow the friction in your marriage to form you not just frustrate you. There'll be friction, but allow it, taking a step back. Some years ago, we first got married. Um, so it was like our first year, first few months, and it was a Saturday morning. So we had, a, here's also an example of two different visions, very practical. So it was a Saturday morning. I woke up, and I came, and I saw on our dresser, there was a schedule written in 15-minute increments of the day been delivered since then, so I'm not quite like that anymore, but I do absolutely believe in planned spontaneity on, Sunday, on Saturday. Which, can we all agree with this? Planned spontaneity is not spontaneity. It's planning, deceiving you that you are being spontaneous, but you are still planning, right? We agree to disagree and move we on. Disagree. So, uh, I was a lot more spontaneous when we first met, and uh, so when I woke up and I saw the schedule, I was like, what in the name of the Lord is this? This is blasphemy. Who has a schedule on a Saturday? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, I schedule Monday through Friday, and Sunday we have church. Saturday is go with the flow. Like, spontaneous Saturday. That's why it's called Saturday. Um, so it was a point of friction. It sounds so insignificant, but it was a point of friction. Because she was like, I want to get out and do some things. I'm like, no, we're going to, like, take it easy you know, watch a little college game day, like take it easy, like into our day. And, and uh, as I actually, it took, me, it took me some months, I'll be honest, for some months, my pride was just like, we just, and here's the Lord revealed to me. The Lord revealed to me I was being prideful because I was expecting her to conform to my schedule. And he showed me how I was on pride to get in the way. So in that moment, God was showing me, listen, you might be praying for the friction in your marriage to go away. And God, the word of the Lord may be for you. 
God's saying, I'm not going to take that friction from you. I'm going to use it to form you more into my image. So as you're having friction, step back and be like, could my spouse be right in this disagreement? Could, Could this tension actually be used to root out some pride, root out some envy, root out some greed that's in my heart? And I think as we allow that to happen, God will shape us and form us. And just like, to go back to our blueprint, the functionals of a house, the plumbing, the HVAC, the electrical, just like you cannot see it, but you need it for a house to be sustainable, your own formation in marriage, you may not be able to see spiritual formation always visibly, but it's necessary. And without it, the tension and friction will continue to continue to pile up unless you allow it to form you. Tim Keller says, marriage is a major vehicle for the gospel's remaking of your heart from the inside out and your life from the ground up. So are you allowing your marriages to shape and form you or trying to get out of the pain? The pain actually and the friction, if you will, might actually be the very thing that you need. You know, pearls often, uh, we we value the pearl, but you know, that starts with an irritating grain of sand that that goes back and forth, back and forth over time, over Mm -hmm. years. And that's actually the value of the pearl goes up. And the same is true for our relationships. You know, we have to choose to be considerate of one another. Uh, Ephesians 5, 21 through 25 that we've already read. I want to pull out one sentence here that is really important because I think it frames the rest. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. You know, last week we talked about order matters, right? We're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength first. Then we're going to love ourselves and then we're going to love others. The same is true for marriage. If you don't learn to first submit to God in your singleness, you are going to have a really hard time submitting to another and yielding one to another when we haven't allowed God to do the formation even in our own singleness. Mm. And the good news is that when you're married, it just kind of, it kind of magnifies the issue. And so you have a lot more opportunity <laughs> to, to learn to yield to one another because everywhere you go, there you are, right? <laughs> and so they're in your house. And if you don't live in a large house, there they are, right? And so you're not getting away. It's, it's a perfect setup to be transformed into the image of the Lord. And so, um, you know, I know this word has a negative connotation, submission, especially in our culture today. However, uh, when it, I had a very negative view because the truth is I had a negative view of like, God, I'm not exactly sure if I can trust you and submit my will to yours, even in singleness. And so um, as that was getting worked out, you get married and it's like the same issue is there. It just kind of looks different, but it's actually still there. And so what I had to do, I didn't start seeing traction until I actually kind of reframed for myself. What is submission? Submission is getting under the mission of God for your life. Just like you get under an umbrella, it protects you from the elements. It protects you from a roof, right? A roof over your head protects you from the elements, from life. And so when we submit under God's covering, whether we like it or not, uh, again, decisions lead, feelings follow. 
when you get under that and you can trust him, trust is built over time. And you see, oh God, man, you, you are, and you begin to see what could look like limitations and, uh, you know, uh, it, could, it could look like boundaries that you don't like are actually what protects you and gives you the framework to live healthfully from that place. And so it is really important that we get this piece right or it won't work. In fact, uh, Paul talks about, you know, our design. Our design reveals actually our true identity and our purpose. We talk about that in Next Steps um, too. Like God has uniquely designed you and he's designed your spouse. And so when I, when I refuse to see that, right, and think my, the way that I'm designed is somehow better as a planner than his spontaneity, hmm. right, what I'm doing is I'm actually disrespecting God's design for Jeremy, and so when we look at it, it really is just a form of pride because we think that we were made better somehow. We would never say that. That's essentially what we're saying because the designer made both of us. We just have different purposes, right? We have a similar purpose, right, to glorify God in, in, in the earth, right, as, as individuals. But together, we're very different people. But we have to respect and honor how God's wired each other and then learn to work together and allow the friction and the iron sharpening iron to actually form us and make us better. You guys tracking with me? Genesis 2.22 says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought, it, he brought her to the man. You know, I find it interesting that Eve was made from the side of a man, which is our rib cage. And our rib cage actually aids in um, respiratory, uh, basically your oxygen moving through your body, right? And so God didn't say, hey, I'm going to take a foot bone so that, you know, men, you can stomp on your wives. He didn't say that. He also didn't say, hey, I'm going to take a, a bone from the skull, so that you can rule over him and boss him around, right, and control him. He didn't say that either. What he did, which I think is very profound, everything that God does is strategic, is he pulled her right out of the side. It's good. Showing like, hey, actually, together, you're going to glorify God in the earth much better. And by the way, man, you need her. It's much better with her (laughs) than without her. She's going to aid you and that together the oxygen and the life can flow from the two of you together. God is so strategic in the way, but it's all how we, we look at things. You know, it, it might look like for a little while you choosing, especially if trust has been broken, it might actually look like you having to like set, fix your eyes. I am going to trust the God in, your, in, in my spouse mm-hmm. for a little while. Because trust is the key ingredient for, for relationships. It's if good. you don't have trust, you have nothing. You know, we learn this in teamwork in our workplaces. Teamwork starts at home. Yeah. And if we don't learn to trust one another, then everything else just won't work. It it's won't good. work. And so some, we have to learn to trust the God in our spouse until trust can be built and they prove over time, right? It's like, oh, you are trustworthy. Oh, I can trust you. But it's going to require me yielding to some of the decisions that maybe Jerry, Jeremy made with discussion, of course, right? Yeah. Um, but to say, you know what? I, I strongly disagree, but you know what? I'm going to follow your lead on this. Yeah. That's what it can look like, right? And it could be men just being open to, to have, have an opinion, to be aided, right? Mm. In your, in your conversations, because it's the iron sharpening iron that you'll come to a better, uh, a better outcome, a better solution to whatever you're trying to tackle. And kids, man, kids will play you mm. we all the time. 
right? Pit you one, one against the other, right? Well, mom said this or dad said this. Yeah. And it might look practically like, no, no, no. What did your father say? I'm getting behind that. What'd your mom say? I'm getting behind that. Yeah. Even if in private you're like, oh, I would have handled that differently. Yeah. We're, we're still a work in progress on that. We are still parenting young <laughs> children. Yeah. And, and I'll say this with the, on, the, on the side of the man. You know, he says that the men to give their life up for their wife as Christ did for the church. And some, in some church cultures in America, there have been sometimes maybe an overemphasis on the wives' submission and not the men laying down their life. And I think it's an important to note uh, because it is countercultural, as it was in that day. And this whole idea, I heard somebody one time joke, you know, this whole idea of a husband laying down their life. So he said, spiritually speaking, the best husband's a dead husband. Um, spiritually speaking, spiritually speaking. Um, you know, in fact, the early church in Rome, right when the church was born, women were attracted to the church in Rome because in Rome it was very patriarchal and oppressive. Like a Roman man could do whatever they want. They could sleep around on their wife. There was no repercussion. A wife was oppressed. A woman was oppressed in Rome. They were drawn to the church because the men were, number one, faithful to their wife, and number two, they laid down their lives for their wives. So people were drawn to the church. This is our calling, is to serve our spouses um, as Christ did for the church. And to be real practical, um, in 1 Peter 3, 7, Peter says to husbands is to be considerate of your wives. And catch this. He actually says, essentially, when, if you are not considerate of your wife, God will not hear your prayers. That's how much God cares about this. You know that word considerate? It literally means to go above and beyond justice. It means you don't just do what is fair, you do more. Put it practically. It says, I'm gonna do 75% while you do 25%. That as a man, I'm gonna give my life down for my wife. Very practically, here's what it can look like. That when you are making a decision about whether or not to, to accept that job at work or your boss asks you to do something that's gonna make you travel more and be away from home more, before you say yes, Consider your wife's feelings and perspective. It means when you walk by the sink full of dishes, I'm trying to help somebody out. You consider your wife. Come on, this is, this is real talk. When your toddler walks by you and they smell like a walking garbage can, you consider your wife. True story, uh, I remember once recently, Abby walked by smelling like a garbage can, and I said, dear Jesus, please let Christina smell that soon. <laughs> and then, then my feelings got in the way, and I realized I needed to be more considerate. And on that note, it goes both ways. You know, um, you know women, it's the same thing. You know, we're juggling, uh, most, you know, uh, most of us are juggling multiple responsibilities at the same time. And so the truth of the matter is ensuring that uh, his opinion, right, and his needs also are, are in view, right? So the same is true for considering jobs, right, that in, in, in opportunities and different things. It's just saying, hey, we are going to talk about this because what my decisions impact you and your decisions impact me, and we respect each other, and we respect the yeah. call of God on, one each, on each other's lives, and we both want... We, I want to see Jeremy, right, as, as you want to see me, yeah. be everything that God's called us to be, right? But that is going to take uh, a lot of open communication. It's going to take a lot of yielding one to another in different yeah. seasons. And making sure that you're on the same page is so critical. Yeah. Let me say this, is that you are called to be more loyal to your spouse than anything else or anyone else next to God. Meaning this, if, and loyalty is not just, well, I'm going to come home to her every night. 
Loyalty is, I'm going to say no to work more than I'm going to say no to my wife for my work. If you are saying no to your wife more than you're saying for the sake of your work, you may have a mistress and her name is your job. And be careful that you are not sacrificing the most important relationship God has said on this earth in your life next to him for the sake of your work or for the sake of your kids or for the sake of your family of origin or for the sake of your friends. That is what you should protect above all else. Jimmy Evans, he and his wife Karen wrote this great book called The Four Laws of Love. If you want a great practical book on marriage, buy this one. He says, marriage is brutal on selfish people. In fact, it is a death chamber for the selfish spirit. When selfishness dies, the marriage thrives. Here's the last point, is I need to see my spouse as my companion and not my competition. Paul says the two become one flesh. That word one flesh literally means to combine two beings together. Um, You may have heard it kind of referred to in the context of sex. It means more than that. It's not just merging your body. It's your spirit, soul, and your body. And here's what I have found. In the same way companionship, in the same way the finishes of the home, the drywall and the flooring, um, there's an importance and a purpose to it. There is an order that the foundation and the functionals get done first, but these finishes are important. And so is your companionship, your relationship with your spouse. And here's what I have found. The greatest enemy of us becoming one flesh is actually my flesh. It's actually my pride getting in the way that can get in the way of us becoming one together. Uh, when we first got, when we were kind of, we were engaged and we were moving along the journey of marriage, um, I can remember literally asking God, like, how in the world are you going to merge our lives? Like, I don't get it. I, I would like to know the plan, God. Uh, any planners? I'd like to know how you're going to do this. And I want steps A through Z on how we're going to do this, right? Um, in fact, I had certain, you know, passions and goals for my life. Jeremy had certain passions and goals for his life. And and so um, I remember being in premarital counseling, and they had us do the DISC assessment, which is a personality assessment we also offer in Next Steps 2 because it's a part of unpacking how God has uniquely wired you as a gift to the world. And so um, I remember the pastor kind of looking up and chuckling as he's, over, he's looking over our reports before he talks to us. And he's like, oh, well, this is going to be fun. And I'm like, what is he talking about? <laughs> Um, he's like, well, you know, most people opposites attract. And while you guys are very different, he's like, you're both, uh, you're both similar in some of your personality traits. In fact, you're both very strong in what they called the Ds, right? These, and he, they, would have, um, they would associate animals with the different uh, letters in this assessment. They're like, you're both lions. This should be fun. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, you know, not knowing what in the world he's really talking about because you don't really know marriage until you're in it, right? You can learn about it, but you don't really understand until you're in it. And so here I am thinking to myself like, oh, this is going to be really fun. And so one of the areas that came out in the marriage counseling is Jeremy has this, he had this vision for a big family, right? And he was pretty adamant. Like, this is the, this is the vision. This is what I, you know, this is what I see. And I was like, whoa, 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 slow down. I mean, this is just a big step for me to say yes to you and say no to all the others, right? (laughs) And so I'm like, whoa, you're trying to move over here. And I'm just like trying to take this step, which is yes to you for the rest of my life, right? And so we had two totally different visions. And what I can tell tell you now is over a decade later in a lot of uh, lion matches, 
Here we stand with a, with, you know, with a family, a party of five, because everywhere we go, it's a party, uh, because we have very loud family, we're a loud family. And so, you know, I can tell you, like, through that, there was a lot of hard conversations, there were a lot of submission, there was, and at the heart of it was a submission to God first. It's taking his vision of what he had for family, me having, you know, being, taking my fear of family and submitting it to the lordship of Jesus and saying, yes, God, you write our story, right? It's submitting what you think, what you had in mind to God's plan and letting him write the rest. That's good. And there's three ways to be a a companion to your spouse. We're going to close with these is number one is to be your spouse's partner. Uh, it says in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one because you have a good return for their labor. As you discover your spouse's dreams, what God's put in their heart, be their, be their biggest cheerleader and encourager. But I love to say it this way. Uh, if I officiate a wedding, I often say this, is be each other's CEO, chief encouragement officer. I know it's corny, but you won't, you won't forget it. Listen, life will naturally discourage you, won't it? Like just life happens. When you go home for your spouse, when your spouse comes home, that should be the place they're like, when they feel discouraged, they're like, I still believe that book's on the inside of you. I still believe you're called to that leadership position. I still believe what's in your heart is going to happen. Even when the signs around them, don't point that way. Be their, be their partner. Number two is be their lover. For some of you, this is your favorite part. You just woke up. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Some of you, this is your new life verse, Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. Write this down. Uh, Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. This is really in the Bible. She is a loving deer. Try that next date night. A graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Let me say this. God did not just create sex for procreation, but also recreation. Read Song of Solomon like to enjoy. Can I challenge you as a married couple? Statistics show the majority of married couples are unsatisfied sexually. Have conversation around sex. Talk about it. What you enjoy, what you don't enjoy. It might feel uncomfortable, but I'm telling you, it might actually help bring more fulfillment in your marriage, more satisfaction in your marriage. Have that conversation about it. I've also learned that you need to have connection before affection sometimes. Back when we first started, we first got married, I would come home and I'd be ready to party. And she wasn't ready to party. And I learned I needed to like connect with her throughout the day. So I would send her text messages, I'm thinking about you. Uh, I can't wait to see you tonight. I love you, you know, all of those things. Um, And uh, in our current season, it's me doing house chores with three kids. The other night, I literally, like, you know, I did the dishes and bathed the kids and put them to bed. She was like, what you trying to do tonight? I was like, what just happened? Um, in fact, the Journal of Marriage and Family in 2001 actually found, catch this, this is, this is psychosocial research. Wives found their husbands more physically attractive, and they were more sexually receptive after their husbands cleaned the house. Research, research, I'm helping you out. Lastly, as we close, is to be a friend, be a friend. Genesis 2, 24 says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. You know, we've talked about kind of the, the greatest competitors um, of, our, of, of investing in our marriages and getting it off the back burner to the front burner, um, you know, careers, even un, uh, 
relationships ties with our extended family because we never actually left and, and cleaved and put the other person in their rightful place. Um, also as kids, right? These are all things that can compete for intimacy in your marriage and friendship. The word azab, actually, uh, this is what this word leave actually means. It means to loosen, relinquish, or even forsake. And essentially, it's a reframing of some of those familiar relationships um, of our family. And as daughters, um, I can speak for that. It, it gets very challenging, right? Because uh, family matters a lot, um, and, and to me personally. Um, and, but realizing that it's got to be shifted. The order has to be shifted. It's not that you don't stop caring. Of course you do. And you continue to invest in those relationships. But if it doesn't shift, it can cause challenges later on because you're running to your family when you should be running to your spouse when there are challenges instead of working it out and duking it out right there at home. In fact, um, this word united means debak, which means to cling or adhere, to pursue hard and affectionately. Um, and, and so you have to have a plan to do this. It's not going to happen on autopilot. It's just not. Life is full of, of, of just very full and of lots of distractions and things that can take our attention away. And so one of the things that we've done, uh, you know, is we've scheduled either date lunches or date nights. It's looked different in different seasons, but trying your best to guard and protect that. Um, yeah. To put kids bed to bed early, commit. Like, it is hard. I don't know if you've tried, but to put some three children plus even to put a child down on time is difficult so you got to have a plan so that you can have something left right before you just fall into bed at night um, and scheduling getaways intentionally at the top of your year hey you know what? Yeah. We are going to try intentionally to spend some time away from our current environment, right? A change of change of place can often give us change of perspective when we yeah. get out of the day-to-day -day, uh, day -day responsibilities that can weigh us down and suck the romance right out of your life. Um, and so on some dates, you know, we'll ask ourselves like, hey, you know, the other person will say, hey, how am I currently doing in yeah. our relationship? Yeah. Right? What am I doing really well that's helping you, you know, and supporting you in this season? What am I not doing so well? And those conversations are hard because sometimes you, you, you don't want to hear it, right? You, you know, yeah. it's kind of like the feeling you get when you go into, you know, your annual, your annual performance review, right? But, but it's not, it's having these conversations so you can make adjustments along the way from a place of love because yeah. you value this relationship. Um, you know, how's your heart doing? That's another yeah. fun one that we say, like, how's your heart? right? Because sometimes we just kind of, life is, can be numbing, right? And you just do, 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 and you really haven't even taken the time to see, like, how am I actually feeling? What are the emotions I'm having yeah. right now? Because they're indicators. They don't yeah. lead us, but they do, they do tell a story. Um, so some connection rhythms that might be helpful is just daily. Here's some goals for you. Daily. I'm going to connect five to ten minutes a day. Whether it's pillow talk, whether it's doing dishes at the sink or folding laundry or, or you know, watering your lawn, whatever. Find it. Don't make excuses. It's there. You just have to find it and you got to fight for it. Um, weekly dates. You know, they're even in seasons you're like, it is just impossible. If you want something bad enough, you'll figure it out. That's yeah. what I know to be true. You'll take something out to put something in. Quarterly getaways. That is really, uh, those are aspirational in a COVID yeah. season. Um, however, however, I would encourage you, you know, to try to get them back on the calendar. Even yeah. a night away is helpful. Even if you don't leave your, uh, your city, 
right? It's just leaving yeah. the environment so you can have place to think and, and be together. Um, and then annually, trying your best, right? Again, very challenging in COVID. We, we were thrown lots of challenges uh, last year and even still in it today, but making sure you've got time for you to just have a couple days to yourself to do the things we're talking about. What is the vision for this family? Where are yeah. we going? What's important to you? What do you want to do with your life? These are important, important questions to ask. It's good. You got you to gotta fight for your marriage. And that's the kind of uh, really story behind all of that. You know, we, we, we were on our honeymoon. We first got married. We did horseback riding in Puerto Rico. And uh, when I got on my horse, I knew this was going to be a fun ride because they kind of told me, like, hey, he's really wily. Um, he's young. Um, and then they, they put me in the back of the line. There was like 25 horses. I'm the back of the line. And then they put a staff member with me. Like, I'm being babysat. I'm like, am I going to die? Like, you know, like, so, um, and I realized soon why. So we start riding. She's at the very front of the line. My horse, this is no exaggeration. My horse begins to squeeze between the other horses and headbutt them. True. He starts winging his head around. Like, I'm like, bro, you're not playing. Like, I'm not, people were falling off the course. They were getting off the narrow course. And my horse pushed his way to the front, like right next to hers. And I was like, go ahead, boy. All right, good boy, good boy. But I thought, man, maybe he knew. But I thought, what a depiction of how we got to fight for our marriage. We got to push away the demands of work sometimes. You got to say no to your boss those extra hours sometimes. You got to tell your kids, go to bed, and I'm going to lock the door. <laughs> We've done that. You got you to gotta tell your mother or your father, no, you cannot come over right now. You got to tell your friends, no, there's no boys' night this week. You got you to gotta, you gotta do that, church. It's so important. What does it look like for you this week? Do some reflection to prioritize my marriage relationship. What do I need to do? If you're single is ask yourself, what is God calling me to do in this season of singleness to prioritize my relationship with him? And if you desire a marriage, while I wait for that person to come into my life. So here's what we're gonna do, church. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. We wanna close with a moment, uh, if you are willing, of a vow renewal. Uh, if you uh, are here, uh, husband and wife with your spouse, you can stand to your feet right now here in Bethesda. If you're watching online, you can do the same. You can look into your spouse's eyes very dreamily. Hold hands. Whisper sweet nothings. Come on, warm that oven. Warm it up. You got the rest of the day. Um, just pick up your kids before you go. We can't watch them all afternoon, okay? Don't get too carried away now, okay? I thought about it for a moment, but then I said, don't do that, Jeremy. So I'm going to start with the husbands. I'm going to simply ask you a question, and you will look to your wife, look at your wife, and you'll say, I will, and then we will go to the wives in the room. So men, I'm going to speak to you first. Will you recommit yourself to this holy relationship of marriage, to the wonderful responsibilities of a husband? Will you continue to be your wife's loving and faithful and helpful husband, respect and honor her in sickness or in health, in prosperity or adversity? Are you willing to renew your love and commitment to her as your wife and to promise to be faithful unto her so long as you both shall live? If so, answer, I will. 
to the wives in the room, will you recommit yourself to this holy relationship of marriage, to the wonderful responsibilities of a wife? Will you continue to be your husband's loving and faithful and helpful wife? Respect and honor him in sickness or in health, in prosperity or adversity. Are you willing to renew your love and commit to him as your husband and to promise to be faithful to him so long as you both shall live? If so, answer, I will. Well, by the authority vested in me as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and by the state of Maryland, I now re-pronounce you as husband and wife. Husbands, you may kiss your bride. Church, we're going to have this is a celebratory moment. Stand to your feet. Let's celebrate together. So darling, I will be loving you till we're 17. And maybe my heart will last hard at 23. Now you might have people fall in love in a mysterious way. Maybe just a touch of a hand. <laughs> Me, I fall in love with you every single day. And I just want to tell you. Thinking I 